Hi, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Packers Unscripted Social Distancing Style from Packers.com. I am Mike Spofford, joined by my trusted colleague, Wes Hodkowitz. Wes, we are just a couple days away from training camp officially being over and the roster cuts, roster decisions, and all of that will be made over the weekend. But before we get into some of those rules and ramifications, I want to talk about uh, Aaron Rodgers' media session over Zoom yesterday, which was after Wednesday's practice, because he, uh, he was full of positive thoughts, full of positive attitude. And, you know, it turns out it wasn't just a piece of 2010 practice film that he took out to the field with him when things started to click in for him for camp this year. It sounds like he spent a good part of the offseason reviewing a lot of his own film to get ready for this, uh, as we like to call it, a season unlike any other, he showed up for camp with uh, a whole different mental preparation that he went through uh, during the, the months of the pandemic and the quarantine period. Yeah, he really did, Mike. And it was interesting listening to him speak. He talked to the media for about 20 minutes. And, and to Roger's credit, I, correct me if I'm wrong here, I don't remember him speaking this often in previous training camps. It would typically be a lot of Tim Boyle, uh, a lot of the backup quarterbacks, but I would Rogers, say he. I would say he still usually would talk once, would he go a, week once a week during training camp. Yeah, yeah but um, but yeah, I couldn't remember. But you, uh, this probably feeds into what I want to say, and that's it's this year really left an impression on me. I don't know if it's the fact that he was able to be more reflective this off season in what was going on and in, in his life and in how he wanted to approach football. Uh, but he's just had this different aura about him. Jason Wildy had to ask the question uh, the way he did, which was you know guys are saying you're a lot more, you know, seem to be having a good time. Not that you necessarily were in a bad mood before, but you're in a pretty good place right now. And honestly, Mike, I think we could kind of sense that too, just based on the three availabilities we've had with him this summer. He just seems very at peace and very at ease. He had his Mark freaking Eaton shirt on uh, when he did his conference call. I mean, just was really chill. And the thing I keep thinking back to when he mentioned the 2010 thing, we did, we talked a lot about the film and what he potentially saw in that practice tape or whatever tape it was that he picked up on. But I think if you go back and look at it 10 years ago too, he was in an entirely different place. He wasn't the two-time MVP yet. He wasn't the franchise quarterback. He was a really talented young guy who ended up leading a team to a Super Bowl at 27 years old. You wonder how much of that he wanted to be able to get back and just kind of get back to the fun-loving nature of the game I've sensed that I've noticed it in the way he actually is out there on the practice field. And he talked about Marquez Valdez Scantling in the way that he's impressed him coming back this year. He's interacting with guys. The, the video that Olivia Reiner tweeted out from the press Gazette and him, you know, throwing you know, kind of joshing around a little bit with Boyle kicking the ball away from him. He just really seems to be having a good time. And to be honest with you, Mike, going into the start of the regular season here and now 10 days, I think that's a really good sign. I just think he's loose, he's comfortable, and during a time with so much uncertainty, Aaron Rodgers just really seems to be himself. Yeah, and he he was talking a lot about where he is both personally and professionally, and he talked about sort of in the offseason from a personal standpoint, finding his center a little bit, getting comfortable with just who he is, where he is in his life. That's all. That's all fine and good. I was frankly fascinated in some ways by what he was talking about with the on the field stuff and not that it was so much a groundbreaking um, discussion but 
a reminder in a sense of, of how everything at the quarterback position works together and how there's a chain reaction with everything. And he kind of went through it where it's like, okay, his comfort level in the offense, he feels like he's got some better footwork and then the better footwork leads to being a little bit quicker through his progressions on the pass plays and being quicker through the progressions leads to better balance. Uh, when he's dropping back in the pocket and, and setting his feet and then the better balance leads to better accuracy with the throws. And it's like, you, you can see, it's like everything is connected. There's, there's this chain reaction. It's like, you know, that old schoolhouse rock, uh, you know, song video that I used to watch as a kid. It's, it's, it's a reminder of, of how complex the quarterback position is and yet how easy somebody like Rogers who is so experienced and so accomplished um, can make it look at times. And yet it sounds like he really went back and did a lot of studying of himself in the off season to say, okay, how do I really get back to where I was when I was playing at my best, even though I'm not as young as I used to be, obviously, but how do I get back there? What's it going to take? And he's been, he's been putting that chain reaction together and it showed on the practice field for sure these last few weeks. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. I'm also glad you brought up uh, Schoolhouse Rock. I'm, oh, on yeah. the, I'm on the northern end of that 18 to 34 <laughs> demo now. So there might be more kids out there that don't know exactly what you're referring to, but I did. And I appreciated it. <laughs> no, but the, the thing about the quarterback position, Mike, there's only two, maybe three positions where I think you are able to, well, actually four. When you look at Larry Fitzgerald, probably four positions where you're able to kind of reinvent yourself throughout the course of the career. A lot of times NFL careers don't last long enough for you to evolve. Quarterback is one of those spots though. And that's what kind of hit home with me with Rogers is that, yeah, there are certain things he's going to be able to do 10 years ago that he wasn't able to do uh, that he's not able to do now, but that goes vice versa. I mean, there's things that he's picked up on the last 10 years. It's bringing back maybe some of those ideas. And again, this is all speculation on my part. He's not going to go into it right now, what he's seen or what he thinks, but I just think that when you have a 15-year career like that, there's so much you can learn from, not only knowing what you know now, but seeing what you did then and how that potentially equated to games one. The thing that really does stand out to me, though, is the second year in Matt LaFleur's offense. And you've talked about it a lot this summer. I even wrote about this in Insider Inbox. I don't know if you agreed with me or not. But, you know, someone had asked if, if he just, you know, where the offense is and, and, and are they, you know, are they clicking and all those sort of things. And the way I looked at it was relative to the competition, I think they are much farther ahead right now than they were last year. I think they look a lot better going into the regular season than they did last year, keeping in mind grading on a curve with everything that's happened with the COVID offseason. And to be honest with you, when this thing started a month ago and we started watching practices three weeks ago, I was really kind of holding my breath. I wasn't sure exactly how this was going to look. I, you know, when you have a virtual off-season program, you are going through the installs. You are having the classroom sessions. But, Mike, you, you've been on online classes. You know what these things are like. I mean, it's not always easy to keep someone's attention for six hours when you're just doing conversations and interactions this way. But to Matt LaFleur's credit, to Nathaniel Hackett, whatever they did during the virtual off-season, it allowed them to really pick up. And every organization did it differently. But those words that Mark Murphy said right at the beginning of this pandemic, I think was probably the first comment out of the organization after we were all kind of in the holding pattern about how teams that respond the best to this are going to be the ones that get out of the gate fastest. We can, we will only know what we know when we see them get out on the field at us bank stadium in two weeks, but the green Bay Packers for my eye, for what I thought this camp could be really exceeded my expectations. 
Yeah, I mean, I think there's no question, based on what Rogers said, based on what we've seen from guys like Aaron Jones, Jamal Williams, Devontae Adams, all of the, the main states on offense. Now, obviously, the Packers still have to figure out exactly what's going on on the right side of the offensive line. There are some depth chart decisions and whatnot that need to be made. But in terms of the mainstays, the guys you know are going to be there, you're going to be counting on them every week. There's no question that being in the second year of the system has has put everybody just at, at a greater ease in terms of how to go how to go out and execute and uh, and and get the job done. So obviously the proof will be in the pudding, as you say, come the game against the Minnesota Vikings and and moving forward from there. But. The big news that will be happening this weekend is by 3 p.m. Central Time on Saturday. That is the deadline by which the Packers and all teams in the NFL have to trim their rosters to 53. Pretty much everybody has been at an 80-man roster at this point, which is 10 players less than the usual 90-man um, at this stage of things. But the roster will be reduced to 53 on Saturday afternoon. And then after a waiver period of slightly under 24 hours, then teams can start to build their practice squads. Players that have cleared waivers, they can, they can sign them with their practice squad. And there are a lot of different rules and, and whatnot this year with regard to the practice squad, Wes. So I'll start with you. We can talk about this a little bit just to explain to the fans how things are going to be a little bit different this year. After the cut down to 53, there are some different rules and regulations that have been put in place because of the, uh, the COVID-19 pandemic. Yeah, so the thing that's actually kind of eye-opening with this, I was thinking about this coming into work today. Uh, this practice squad has doubled in size in like four years. Yeah, uh, It's pretty incredible. I remember listening to Mike McCarthy talk about this and probably must have been 2014 or 15 when the ideas started coming out of moving it to 10. Well, then with the new CBA, it was going to 12. And then with the like 2022, they're going to go to 14. And then this year, one of the measures that they put in place, and this was put in place when teams weren't even allowed to bring guys in for workouts at the time, was a 16-player practice squad with four of those players basically for the simplicity of this and you and I not having to read off a piece of paper, basically allowing any type of veteran to be on the practice squad as well. In the past, there was the, originally there was a rule that if you were on an active roster for more than nine games in a season, you no longer were practice squad eligible. They threw that out a few years ago, which was a good move. The one thing I've been stumping for the last few years is until a guy reaches veteran uh, – vested status they should have the ability to be on a practice squad I don't it doesn't make sense to me why you wouldn't want to give them that opportunity because for a veteran I'm going to use the example of J. Ron Elliott it's been very tough for him to get going again here because he doesn't have any practice squad traditional availability left so what I'm interested to see what the Packers do here is you always hate this process uh, guys didn't get preseason games to prove themselves but at the same time, there are only 80 guys on the roster right now. They do have to get down to 53, but as soon as they're done with that, the next day they're going to add 16 more guys. They're going to have 69 guys in practice on Monday, at least uh, eligible to practice. So in compared to what traditionally was the cutdowns, there isn't an, as many guys that are necessarily going to not have jobs come a week from now, but it's going to be seeing what the Packers decide to do with those four veteran spots. Do they use them? Do they just keep it with young guys? That's what I'm really fascinated by because, I, I, to be honest with you, I don't even know if those contracts have to be different than the, than the traditional uh, you know, practice squad salary, which has a base, but really not an, a ceiling. Like, are guys going to be trying to get bigger deals out of that? I don't know. But the fact of the matter is, 
without having these weekly workouts or being able to have as much freedom to bring guys in or claim a guy like maybe, you know, Tyler Irvin and just have them play the next Sunday like they did last year, they're going to have to be a little bit more creative. The last thing with the practice squad this year and actually moving forward now, I believe you have the ability to bring up guys on a weekly basis two players from your practice squad to put on the game day roster and they will get a game check and you can bring them back down without having to have this big waiver process and signing guys and cutting them like they had to do with Evan Bayless last year when they were working through some injuries at tight end. It's going to be fascinating. There has nothing, but never been anything like it before. It's the closest thing I think you're seeing to like a triple a minor league system in the NFL. And I'm personally, as a nerd with this kind of stuff, I'm just captivated to see how teams go about utilizing this. Cause I think there's going to be a lot of movement. Yeah, there's a couple of things at work here that is going to be, uh, you know, part of this process throughout the weekend. One is that without any preseason games, there isn't anything really for teams to study recent film of players on other teams who might get released and then be available on waivers. So I think now not to say that there won't be any waiver claims across the league. I'm not saying that, but I think there's a, there's a good chance that there will be fewer because you're just not going to know as much about those players. All you, all you still have to go on on somebody else's player is their college film and where you had them ranked going into the draft, so to speak, as opposed to getting to see three, four games of preseason film and go, okay, yeah, that guy's actually better than a guy that we have here. So let's make a claim on him and put him on the roster. So with there being less of that going on, and as you said, Wes, there are a lot more restrictions this year as we get into the regular season in terms of bringing guys in for workouts, being able to sign a guy off the street and then suit him up you know, with the testing protocols and, and other things. It's not going to be as, as simple and as easy as it used to be. So in that respect, you have the 53-man roster for week one against Minnesota, but there's going to be just as much intrigue as to who those 16 guys are on the practice squad because if you're going to be making roster moves here and there throughout the season, it's, it's going to, for the most part, be those guys on the practice squad. And looking at it from a math perspective, 80 guys in training camp, if it's going to be reduced to 69, and as I said before, if you're not going to be claiming a bunch of guys from other teams – you're only really moving on in essence from 11 players potentially uh, from what you've had on the practice field so far this year. So you're going to know a lot about these guys. You're, you're, and then, as you said, the veteran exemptions and whatnot, how teams use those, are they going to have four and five and six year veterans like sort of in reserve, ready to go if they need you know, an, an extra guy for a game day, that kind of thing. So there are a lot of things that are going to be different this year. I think it's going to be just as intriguing to see, who ends up on the practice squad as who ends up on the 53, because in a lot of ways that 53 is just for week one. And there are a lot of things that could change about that active roster, even right away heading into game number two after whatever happens uh, uh, on the first weekend. Yeah. And it's funny you mentioned that too, about the 11 guys. Well, in that 11, you're going to be counting in the IR guys and the PUP guys, they all get factored into that. There might be like four guys that are actually not going to be able to be on this year's team. I mean, that's just the way this process has gone. The IR thing, I'll bring that up now while, while I mention it. Now you have the freedom. Now the guys have to be carried through the 53-man roster in order to do this, but you will have the freedom to designate those players to return at any point after three weeks. And after three weeks, usually it's six, and then you have to be, you know, a two-week acclimation period. 
Now it's three weeks they can return to practice, and then that opens a 21-day window for them to actually get activated. So there is going to be so much flexibility compared to 2012 when this whole designated to return thing started. And at the moment that Cedric Benson got the list, Frank, the Packers had to say, okay, this is our player who's designated to return. And when he had to have surgery later in the season, that didn't matter. You just lost it. And that was the only guy you could bring back on your 53 man roster. I like that no longer are teams going to be in a position where they have to carry guys that are going to maybe miss four or five, six weeks. And then, you know, you potentially you're putting out other guys that are banged up onto the field. They needed to eliminate that. I thought this was a good first step. And then also to, to mention this, someone else asked in the insider inbox, well, do you think, you know, with the way they're doing these rules now, could veterans, do you think you probably are going to keep more veterans on the 53 and you keep more young guys on the practice squad? Be honest with you, I'll be very interested to see how the league handles this. I think you're going to see more rookies on the 53, and I think you're going to see more veterans that could potentially be brought up for games or on special teams on practice squads. I really do think that that's a possibility right now because teams wanting to protect investments of other prospects out there that other teams might have liked and not want them to get away. Mike, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, I will be glued to my computer screen, my iPhone, my television. Uh, seeing how these rosters take form before the Packers get back out on the practice field Monday, uh, it is going to be some heck of television to watch. Well, as we get to Saturday afternoon and the selection of the 53-man roster, I know you and I have some different thoughts on maybe what's going to happen, maybe not. I just want to throw this question out your way. An undrafted rookie inevitably always there's at least one that makes the Packers 53-man roster. I'm curious what you what would you set as sort of the over under number this year on undrafted rookies? Do you think one? Do you think two? Like what what, well, are, what are your thoughts in terms of how many could uh, could make it in 2020? Yeah, at least question. for the start of the season. Yeah, great question. You know, last year there was only one. It was Darius Shepard, and he was a tryout guy. Uh, that really <laughs> kind of blew me away. Now there were some guys that stuck around on the the practice squad and eventually got opportunities, but th that was something that was kind of like, oh wow, that was sort of eye opening. The one thing that has sort of changed with this is the Packers have actually been using that practice squad as more of a develop, developmental system. So you've seen your, your Robert Tanyans and some of these other guys sort of rise through the ranks and then they make the team for the first time, uh, but they're not typically like undrafted rookies. So to your question, I would probably set the line at maybe 1.5, maybe 2.5. I, I think for sure there's going to be at least one. There's always one. And I think there's some really good candidates on this roster. But the, the great thing about this process is inevitably every year there's a couple guys that make it that you're like oh I didn't see that happening I didn't think like that now that's the difference between Wes Hodkowitz the digital reporter that goes home at night and plays Pokemon versus Brian Gutekunst who is doing this for a living with all of his scouts there's guys that they take a liking to that they want to get a deeper look at but to your original thing Mike this is where it's going to get interesting it's going to take organizations that had real interest in those undrafted rookies to bring them on and put them on a 53 blind. I think there's been a lot of, you know, nerves about that. I saw Mike McCarthy not wanting to put the Jersey numbers on guys during the practice that they televised. But at the end of the day, all these teams have to make really difficult decisions getting down to 53. There's always going to be a couple guys that get claimed, but I wonder if league wise, league wide, that number is going to be down just because, you're, you only have 53 spots and you're going to have to do it blind. The original question, I'd say 1.5 would be where I would set the, the line on that. 
Yeah, and just to clarify for fans on how this works when we talk about waiver claims and whatnot, if you claim someone on waivers, you have to make a spot for that player on your 53-man roster. It's not you can, it's not being able to claim somebody on waivers and then say, oh, we're putting them on the practice squad. It doesn't work that way. A waiver claim means that guy has to be on your 53. So then if you're at 53, you have to make a corresponding move and release somebody else in order to fit that guy in. And sometimes you know how this works, Wes. And again, this is where this year it could be a little different than other years, but some of these calculations always come into play. Some of the final spots on, okay, who's going to be on the 53 and who do you see if you can clear waivers to get them onto the practice squad? Sometimes it's the personnel staff looking at what is the rest of the league's opinion of this guy? Because if they're like, if nobody knows anything about this guy, but they know a lot about this other guy and this guy has a good chance to get claimed and we lose him. That's the guy who goes on the 53 and the other guy that they don't know anything about probably isn't going to get claimed. So then they're like, we still want to keep him around. So we'll, we'll waive him, but then bring him back to the practice squad. So those sometimes are the calculations is not even necessarily so much who's the better player, right? but who's the player that we have the best chance to still keep if we have to make them available to the rest of the league. So those sorts of machinations and calculations are, are brought into this too. It's, it's one of those things you'd love to be a fly on the wall in, you know, the, in the personnel room when yeah. they're, they're talking about this stuff and making these decisions, but you know, the conversations go on. Sometimes you just don't know how extensive it is, how hard some decisions are or how easy other decisions are when it comes right down to it. Well, and then again, talking about how difficult it is sometimes for teams to open spots. I mean, Alan Lazard got waived at the end of camp last year. That was, I was surprised by that. I thought he had gotten a spot. Now they only had one between him and Darius Shepard. They went with Shepard, who was their kickoff and punt returner for the first few weeks. But then when a roster spot came open later that week, Lazard was elevated, but how, that's how close you get to potentially losing him. And just to go back and I, you know, now that we're a couple of years down the road, you can talk about this. I mean, basically there was no chance that Tim Boyle was going to get cut uh, in 2018, the Packers had seen too much. They wanted to have him in the fold. So they made that decision. This is a guy we can't, you can't expose him. He's showed too much. Uh, we like his arm too much. So he's going to go in even, I think that Kansas city game at the end could have went terrible and Tim would have still ended up making the roster, but you see what's happened then. I mean, he's become a bona fide number two and a guy that they feel confident about behind Aaron Rodgers. Those are the decisions you have to make. You have to trust your gut. You usually have very little info to go off of. I mean, as much as you learn from those preseason games, they're very vanilla. And again, it's, I'm sure there's going to be some sleepless nights, both in Green Bay and across the league, trying to hope that you get the guys you want, not only on your 53, but also when you're building that 16-man practice squad. Yeah, well, we will have all the news for you on Packers.com late in the day on Saturday, the 53-man roster. And then some point late in the day on Sunday, we will hear from General Manager Brian Gutekunst. His media session will be streamed live on the website. And through Sunday and Monday, all the practice squad decisions will be made. And Monday at practice, the goal is to have your 69 guys, at least for week one, that that's what you, uh, the, you move forward with. So it's going to be a, a weekend of a lot of news and plenty to follow on Packers.com. But for now, we will sign off, call it a wrap on this edition of Packers Unscripted. Thank you for tuning in, everybody. For Wes, I am Mike. We will see you next time.